Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, and shortly I'll be joined by my co-host, Randall Jacobs. This episode's about as self-explanatory as it gets, so I'm not going to give you any warning. We're just going to jump right in. Randall, welcome to the show this week. Yeah, glad to be back as usual, our bi-monthly routine. So what might get picked up on audio, but is definitely getting picked up as I'm looking at you on video, is that you're outside today. Yeah, as are you. Uh, so I'm, let's see, I am on the ridge by Skeggs Point above Silicon Valley, but I'm actually looking to the west uh, over at Half Moon Bay. So pretty fantastic area uh, where I'm posting up for the next few months anyways, uh, surrounded by a lot of trails. As you explore there, I'm really eager to figure out kind of a San Francisco to Santa Cruz bikepacking route. Mm. So keep keep an eye on the trails and think about a route that we might be able to build through there. I know there's been some back and forth on this already. But I I would love to kind of crack that code and publish it. Well, that actually ties back to a previous conversation about trying to crowdsource this. And uh, we have the forum that we have been working on. Uh, You have your Facebook forum for the Gravel Ride podcast. And we have the the thesis uh, Slack forum. And we're going to be combining those two into a single forum that we're calling the ridership. Uh, That's still underway. And we're kind of prototyping with the existing communities. Um, But that'll be something we announce hopefully on, you know, the next episode or one shortly thereafter. Uh, And maybe we have a channel dedicated to, you know, letting having having some of the listeners and some of our riders uh, come together and put together this route going through there. Yeah, I think that that'll be great. And I'm really excited about the concept of ridership that we've been talking about, just creating an online home for the gravel and adventure cycling community mm-hmm. to come together and share, you know, fun stuff about bikes and gear and routes and local rides and rides you're aspiring to internationally. I just think it'd be really cool to get all that in one place and just provide a free service to the community. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that um, we, I mean, we started ours about a month or so ago and just seeing the level of engagement and the quality of engagement amongst the people participating has been great. And then same on the Facebook uh, group. So like tying those together and then slowly over time, opening it up to other collaborators to bring their communities in and having like public channels for general topics and private channels, say like, you know, just for uh, say like our riders or, you know, if there's a, if there's a section only for gravel ride podcast, uh, supporters, uh, you know, you can have a a special channel for that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, obviously there's a lot of big adventures that people plan and want to share with the world. There's also big events every year. And the idea of to be able to create sort of a specific channel for an event to allow people to collaborate and share that they're going and maybe get together for training rides or share tips and tricks from the course last year. Like all this just needs to have a home and a way for people to access it over time that's easy and gravel gravel and adventure cyclist focused. Yeah. And by the way, to listeners, it it sounds like we have this all like mapped out and so on. Um, We're actually thinking about this in real time and kind of prototyping it. So it's at that stage. Uh, So as we kind of unveil this, the the feedback is going to be critical and making sure that this is a resource that really resonates and is useful uh, uh, to you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this doesn't work without the community. It's not Randall and I putting content out there. It's, it's you guys 
contributing content, asking questions, and just interacting with each other. I mean, that's, I mean that is what community is all about. Now, I do have to ask, uh, to tell me about where you're at right now. Yeah, so as the listener may remember, I'm down in Topanga, California for the next three months. And speaking of community, it's been great interacting with people online just to get tips about the different trails around here. I'm surrounded, I'm right by Topanga State Park, so I'm surrounded by a bunch of different ridgelines. And thanks to just people I've met over the internet, I've discovered East Topanga Fire Road down into the Palisades. I've discovered Sullivan Ridge and Mandeville Canyon. And so it's been great to kind of get that mental map of the area. And I've, I've needed it so much. I've needed to kind of get out there and explore um, just to keep me sane. It's hard being away from home, but it's great that these bikes can be a gateway to adventure. I was in a pretty crappy mood the other day and I just went out and all these trails are so new to me that it just really kind of brought me back up to a point where I'm like, I can deal another day. I can relate to that very much. So I had a, one of those rides the other day where it's just like, you know, this this afternoon I'm not getting much done. My head is not in the right space and I have the good fortune of having flexibility. So I went and buried myself on a three-hour ride with a you know, 15, 20% grade, 20, 30 minute climb at the end. And it was just what I needed to, to, uh, get focused, uh, you know, in the moments. Nice. Well, everybody out there, keep those emails coming to me about your favorite routes around here. I'm going to aim to explore the old mash sites where the show mash was recorded. I guess there's some <laughs> old, there's still like the old truck and a few old signs as artifacts in this, in this one area. Um, kind of on the Malibu, I think it's in the Malibu Creek side. Anyway, I've got a route map from the guys at Gravel California. So um, we're going to go over and check it out on Saturday if all things go as planned. Very cool. Very cool. Well, should we, should we dive into this week's, uh, this week's topic? Yeah. What are we talking about, Randall? So this week we're going to be turning the tables on you and uh, you will be in the hot seat and I will be interviewing. All right, man. I'm game. I think I've put this off as long as possible. So. Yeah, I think I, it's... I'm in. All right. So um, the way I, I actually like to do things a little differently, instead of going into story, just uh, a very direct question, like what motivated you to start this? You know, that's a pretty easy one. I guess t- two things combined to create the opportunity for me to create the Gravel Ride po- podcast. One, I had purchased my first gravel bike, um, essentially to commute into San Francisco. And what I realized was that the bike I had purchased wasn't necessarily going to serve all my needs. And the moment I started riding it off-road tubeless and not getting flats like I used to do on my cross bike, I I knew this was a sport I was really going to enjoy. I can get into my cycling background a little bit more later, but, um, what sparked the interest was that there were so many choices in the gravel market. Like what, what did I want to get out of a bike? And I've been around the sport literally my entire life, both on the mountain bike side and the road bike side. So you would have thought I would have just sort of figured out immediately what I wanted in a bike. And that just wasn't the case. So that interest and curiosity in the new sport combined with an interest in the medium of podcasting just came together at a natural point in time where I was like, this will be valuable for me to just put information out there. 
Well, and I think that initiative to actually go from an idea to um, you know putting something out in the world is is significant, and it's not your first experience with this. I'm I'm you know aware of. So you want to share a bit about your Dodo case experience? Yeah, sure. So I mean, most of my life, I've I've I have been exposed to entrepreneurs, which has been great. But it wasn't until much later in life that I started to really see how it worked behind you know behind the curtain. And I want to share a couple stories that sort of motivated me. So right out of college, I worked for Dean Titanium in Boulder, Colorado. And I had been pretty sort of fed up with college. And I decided at a certain point, because I had discovered the bike, that if I was going to graduate college, I was going to go work in the bike industry. And I was was calling out to a number of companies in Colorado because I wanted to move out there. And... Dean was one that responded to me and Yeti was the other one. And I was have these conversations and they were quite encouraging. And I think what I showed the owner at the time, a gentleman who's still in the industry today, John Seacrest, was that um, I was persistent. So he'd say, call me back in 90 days. I would call back in 90 days. And eventually I just packed up the car and moved out there. And over the entire course of time, I'd been calling him for, for six or eight months Every time someone else would answer, they would say something like, well, let me go get him. I'm in the production wing. I need to go to the business office to get him. And as I went out there and and finally got my first face-to-face interview and ultimately got a job with them, I learned that they had literally just moved into an office that week. And when I was calling previously and a guy named Tug was telling me he was going to the business wing, what he was doing was hitting the roof of the garage with a broom handle to get John to pick up the phone in his house. <laughs> so it was an entirely, it was an entire fabrication of what I thought Dean Titanium was all about. I just sort of assumed it was this medium-sized company with a production facility. And I mentioned that not to sort of throw any shade at all. I thought it was brilliant. And I thought it, I learned a ton about how you create the experience you want for your customers and the voice you want, regardless of your size. And maybe some of that resonates with, you know, your life as an entrepreneur at Thesis. Oh, oh, for sure. Starting it in, a, in the uh, uh, converted dining room of a small San Francisco apartment. I can definitely uh, resonate with that. Unfortunately, that's no longer the case, but uh, uh, getting started for sure. So, so working in that small business sort of gave me a little bit of a framework. And I, I stayed in the bike industry for a little while afterwards. But ultimately, I went back to business school and had a career in business development, essentially in the tech industry. I worked in the mobile industry um, and then later in the gaming space. But when the original iPad was announced, I connected with a business partner and we created a company called Dodo Case. And it was a handcrafted in San Francisco case for Apple's iPad. So we, we had... We didn't have a big business plan. We didn't have any business plan. But what we knew was that the iPad was going to be a thing in the world. And we believed that people were going to want to put a case around it. And the, the concept was to use traditional bookbinding techniques to make an iPad cover. So when you opened up your iPad, it looked to the uninitiated eye that you were opening a book. And we, we ended up building the company out in San Francisco and at its peak had around 35 employees, mostly all artisans. So we had 
book binders, we had leather craft workers, we had a sewing team, and it was an amazing, unexpected journey in my life for eight years between founding that company and selling it. Um, that really was a joy. I mean, and one of the big things about the Dodo Case experience is from the get-go, it was very community-focused. My partner and I, Patrick, we were completely transparent about who we were. And the original product had uh, was made out of a bamboo frame that attached to the, the, the book-bound exterior. And I, I'll distinctly remember photographs of me carrying big sheets of bamboo plywood on my back into a wood shop, getting into the, you know, handing it off to Patrick to route out the frame of the iPad for the iPad out of that wood. And those are some of my favorite memories, which just kind of getting my hands dirty and, and really sharing that experience with the, with the would be customers. Yeah. Yeah. I recall, um, you know, I think one of the first long conversations you and I had, uh, we were driving out to NABs and, uh, that, you know, this coming up, you had shared a, another kind of important part of your, your journey, which was uh, you had a period where you were, you were ill for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. My battle with cancer is quite related to my history and passion for endurance athletics. So I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it's actually a rather funny Funny and ironic story. So, so cer- certainly Bay Area listeners and maybe listeners around the United States might be familiar with a program called Team in Training from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And it was, it was shortly after kind of we all went through 9-11 in the United States that I was in that period where I just wanted to give a little back. Um, there was a lot of that motion and activity going on in the United States, people just wanting to give back to the community. And I wanted to raise money for something. And I'd always wanted to do a triathlon. I'd been a cyclist, so I knew I had that on lockdown. But every time I just sort of thought about doing a triathlon, I would just stray back to cycling and I would never actually get the swimming and, and, and biking done. So, or excuse me, and running done. So I decided I would commit to this fundraising endeavor. So I had to raise about $3,200 to go do the wildflower triathlon um, in California. And so I committed to that program. This was completely prior to any personal connection to lymphoma or leukemia. And over the course of that six month training period, I was feeling a little bit ill. I managed to get to the race start line, uh, finished my first half Ironman triathlon. But then a week later, I went to the doctor. And to make a long story short, I was, they found a six-inch tumor in my chest. Oof. Wow. And it turned out to be Hodgkin's lymphoma. So six months training for the triathlon. The next six months of that year, I went through chemo and radiation. And I remember kind of looking the doctor in the eye and making it clear to him that to me, walking out of this experience was not enough. I wanted to be riding out of the experience, running out of the experience and swimming out of the experience. And that, that was big for, it was a big motivator for me to kind of fight through that chemo and radiation experience because it's, it's brutal to your body. And I wanted to make sure I got back to where I was when I left off. So 
you know, I'm, I'm happy and pleased to say, and this was a while back, so you know, don't shed any tears for me today, listener, but I went back to the same triathlon, the same half Ironman I did the year before, uh, six months after completing chemotherapy, and I went faster than I did the year before. And it was, to, to say it was cathartic is an understatement. Oh, I would be an emotional mess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I had, uh, I'm, I can't believe I'm kind of choking up at this moment, but I had a, I had a singlet on that said cancer-free, handwritten. And it was, uh, yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of, a lot of encouragement and pats on the back and definitely broke down at the end of that um experience but i wouldn't change it you know it was huge and that's um so this is one year like you you went and and did the event the the very next year you had six months of treatment and six months of kind of recovery before the so that's kind of a sounds like a best case scenario for what is a uh, very harrowing journey i think i would imagine you confront a lot yeah i was quite fortunate that hodgkin's lymphoma as types of lymphoma goes is the good one um and i had a lot of people in my corner back then who really helped me stay encouraged and stay strong and get through it i mean you don't it was a yet another point in my life where community just came flooding in to my life and I think that's why community is just this common element of anything I do, any endeavor I want to get into. I want that to be a part of it because I I feel like I've benefited from the aspects of community coming together around a cause so personally. And I know how valuable it can be, you know, in, in, in pleasurable situations, but also in life and death. Well, I think I can speak for those of us who who know and love you, and especially those of us who who've met you after that period. That we're really uh, glad that it ended up being that best case scenario, and that you're here to participate because the way you show up is really wonderful. I appreciate that, Randall. Yeah. So, um, I'm always interested to know what is it about like diving deeper into the experience of riding. Like, what is it that, that really, you know, resonates for you? What pulls you in? Now, I've thought about this a bit from time to time. And the sport of cycling, there's something about the methodical, you know, the, the constant motion of pedaling, the repetitive motion of pedaling, that really works with my physiology for one reason. And I often think, like, oh, if potentially I could have been a rower. I've tried running and maybe that's not for me, but I I just like these kind of repetitive motion sports combined with the outdoor elements and the the mountain and off-road and gravel side has always been sort of the, the, the missing piece of the equation. I've certainly done plenty of road miles and, and done road touring, et cetera. But there's something about being out there in the dirt that is so special to me. And it really kind of invigorates me every single day that I get the opportunity to do it. Yeah, I can. I think, uh, well, everyone who's showing up to a podcast like this can probably resonate with that sentiment. Yeah. And it's funny to me, I can do the same ride over and over and over again. And I feel like I get something different out of it every time. And I think that's certainly 
augmented when you're in the Bay Area because the weather plays such a dramatic role in how we experience the trails. But I'm even finding it here in Southern California, just the time of day, the sunlight, the composition of the dirt. These are all things that, that change and all reasons why I encourage people to like take the unbeaten path and get off road. Yeah. Yeah. I, especially like now it used to be that you had to choose between a road bike and a mountain bike and you had to like, you know, choose a very specific experience and now with the machines we have we can really go and and mix it up and just go explore from our you know from our back door yeah many days i feel like that's that's a struggle for me to remind myself of that fact and i'm i'm trying to be cognizant of that while i'm here in southern california because i feel like there are a lot of amazing road canyons to explore out and about around malibu and those combinations, again, they keep everything fresh. So it's a great sport because you can kind of reverse your loops and all of a sudden experience something so different. Now, I'm curious, what was your first, like, what was your first serious bicycle? And how old were you? How were you riding it? And so on. Yeah, so I got into cycling actually rather early on. So both my parents are from England, in the north of England. And my father was an amateur bike racer, as were a number of his four brothers, my cousins all ride. So it's, it's been certainly part of the Dalton family legacy. But much to my father's chagrin, my sort of first bike that I was passionate about was a BMX bike. And I, I raced BMX and my, my road racing father thought I was ridiculous. And I, I think he pretty much refused to join me and made my neighbor take me to all my BMX racing. But it did, it did sort of ignite a passion for getting out there and pinning a number on and sort of the fun of being part of a, you know, an all day long heats of BMX experience. And, and, uh, so I know quite a few like downhill types or like more like, you know, enduro types that might've started in BMX. Uh, where, where'd you go from there? You go into mountain biking or. I did. So I did a little bit of, a little bit of road riding in high school with my dad, not racing by any means, but more touring. He had the guts to take, three of my friends and I on a tour of upstate New York and Vermont, all through youth hostels on bikes with panniers, um, which God bless him for doing that. That was a great adventure for us. But you know, anybody who knows my dad, he's, he's, he's a bit of a loose cannon. I remember we all had to sort of pay our own way on this trip because he wanted my friends and I to feel kind of equal in this experience we were having. And we were up in Vermont and he, he told the group of us and we're like, you know, 14, 15 years old. If anybody can hit 50 miles an hour on their odometer on a descent, I'm buying all of you dinner. <laughs> That's uh, so how, how did that work out? I think it uh, I assume nobody got hurt. No one got hurt. No parents ever found out about it. But we all ate well that evening. Oh, very nice. <laughs> But I would say my, I was a soccer player in high school, and my, after my freshman year of college, I came home, and my dad had actually purchased a Cannondale mountain bike, and I was living in Massachusetts at the time, or at least they were, and I discovered mountain biking that, um, that summer, went back to school in Washington, D.C., started working in a bike shop, and bought my first mountain bike. Um, that would have been in very early 90s, like 1990 and discovered mountain biking in Washington, D.C. And at that time, the scene was just kind of taking off. 
you had the Norba race series, you had a lot of local races kind of in and around Virginia and Pennsylvania that we would travel to. And I just remember having these wonderful experiences. I mean, pretty much everybody would camp at these races. So you'd go and I had a really crappy tent that I would stay in that if it rained water, we'd wake up with our heads in water, but you'd all just kind of shake it off and go race. So I raced mountain bikes all through the remainder of college and worked in the bike and worked in a bike shop. And then, as I mentioned earlier, after graduating from college, decided I wanted to work in the bike industry and moved to Colorado. So I moved out to Colorado after having sort of got to, you know, close to the front of the pack on the East Coast. I suddenly had a rude awakening in both terrain and talent level moving out to Boulder where everybody was just sort of a quantum leap better. But it was a great experience to kind of go out there and race the the, the Corba series out there in Colorado. And, and that's where I spent a lot of time riding mountain bikes in that age. How about uh, road bikes? Do you have, have you done much road riding? You know, I picked up road riding on the tail end of my DC experience and then definitely had it in Colorado. Um, you know, definitely rode enough road and rode with enough roadies to kind of assimilate into that community and find, find pleasure in riding with a Peloton and riding in a, you know, a close pack of close friends really had a lot of enjoyable experiences, raced a little bit of the criterium scene, but ultimately moved out to California and kind of found, um, off-road riding was still my passion, but weirdly, even with that recognition, was riding on the road more simply because it was more accessible. You know, I could just get on my bike and go out the door. So in any given week, I might still enjoy the mountain bike more, but road riding was what I did more often. As you're, as you're mentioning that, it, it, it makes me realize that you know, there are aspects of the road experience like that riding tightly and having conversation that you really struggle to get on the mountain bike until you stop. And so having a bike that's mixed terrain allows you to get kind of the best of both worlds, like the adventure, you're kind of in, you know, to yourself flowing through the environment. But then when you link up on the roads, you can kind of spread up and get next to each other and, and, you know, connect. Totally. I think there's, I was going to say there's something unique about San Francisco proper as a cyclist, but I don't think that's actually true. You know, a lot of people listening may have to ride from their homes on the roads to get to the great off-road terrain. And you're absolutely spot on. I think that's where you blend the beauty of the two. You get to ride elbow to elbow, you know, in a tight formation with your friends on the gravel bikes when you're on pavement. And then you get to split up when you're on the, on the trail as you naturally do as people's strengths and weaknesses come into play. And then the other thing you draw from the mountain bike side is that I just completed this section oh my God, I have to high five someone because that was so rad. <laughs> yeah. Well, so and I feel like you, I feel like you get it all on the gravel bike, which is just, I mean, I'm not here to, I mean, maybe I am here to sell gravel cycling, but it, it just, it has really just, it, it, it checks all the boxes for me. I mean, there's a reason why we both gravitated to this for sure. Uh, and just the, the convenience of being able to just like have a single machine that you roll out with. I mean, we can go wax poetic about this all day. Um, now you have a young one that's getting into riding. I do. Yeah. And that's been, that's been pretty fun. He's on a 20 inch geared bike right now. 
and I just, I've got a tow line for him. So we're trying to um, build his confidence to go up hills a little bit more. He tends to look at something and say like, no way I can't get up that. But with the tow line, it's kind of this elastic product that I hook around my seat and around his handlebar and I could just provide a little bit more horsepower. So we're getting a little bit more range into him. And I've been telling him about this idea of creating a mental map of the terrain and the canyons because I want him to be able to go outside and be able to read the cues of nature and you know find the same simple pleasure in things that I do in the outdoors. Yeah, how, how old is he? So his name's Cosmo and he's six years old right now. Very cool. Yeah, it's such a, I would imagine it's super gratifying to, you know, have your, have your kid get to an age where they can uh, enjoy and participate in the same activity that, that you get so much out of. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, my father being a racer, there was sort of a tendency, I imagine, for him to push me a little bit. And that really didn't work that well. So I'm, I'm trying to allow him to discover his own passions, but make sure that two-wheeled adventure is something that he's exposed to enough that hopefully he falls in love with it. Very cool. And what, what are some other passions that you have in your life or other things that you spend your time, your mind share, your, your uh, effort working on? You know, that's a really good question. I mean, obviously like I am a family man, so I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing without my wife. And I enjoy whenever we can carve out time together we certainly enjoy getting out for hikes and that's certainly a being down here in Topanga is going to be another part of my exploration equation is getting out there and hiking and, and being out there in nature. We're also trying to take advantage of the slightly warmer weather down here and spending time on the beach and doing more beach type activities. So getting in the water, my wife has a, a great passion for swimming. So trying to integrate that a little bit more into our lives where we're down here and and can take advantage of it. And how about with, um, you know, in terms of like your vision for the pod from where you are now? So you've obviously you've you now have had done how many episodes have you done at this point? So in 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 aggregate, I'm getting close to a hundred episodes. So I've got around 60, 70 sort of named interview episodes. And then as you know, we've got the Into Dirt series, which this is, I believe, episode eleven that we'll be publishing. And then I've got a few special edition episodes that I've done visiting the National Handmade Bike Show, a trip you and I did together, visiting Sea Otter. So I'm, I'm, I'm basically trying to get out there and get information for the listener where it's happening. So that's been part of the goal. Obviously, I, I am not in the bike industry proper as I was in my early 20s working for Dean Titanium and later Avocet and Veta, but I've wanted to be a participant in the industry um, because it's something I, I just throughout my life, two wheels have been a great passion of mine. So my goal for the podcast this year is to really get it to be a point in which it's economically sustainable. I think one of the challenge, particularly in this COVID time where I've lost my sort of gainful employment, my full-time employment opportunities, I need to get it to this point where it's not a, a money losing proposition for me. And so I, as you, as the listener knows, I, I've set up a program at buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. And I've really, the last few weeks and month, I've been trying to put some energy into a new membership program. 
and I've set the goal for myself to get 100 paying members to the podcast. And those memberships, it's $5 a month. So I'd like to think it's quite affordable for the listener. And if I can get to that point, and I feel really good about my ability to remain committed to producing the content because I also have industry sponsors who come in periodically and support the podcast. So the combination of the two can make it so that I'm super stoked and have the ability to get out there, go to events, and bring what I hope is great and valuable content to the community. Yeah. And as someone who's sponsored in the past with the uh, tech segments we did, uh, and then also with kind of the programs we have now, I'd just like to let the audience know that, um, you know, one of the things that Craig and I have set up where is if, uh, if a gravel ride podcast listener is interested in getting one of our bikes, um, the, you would get a hundred dollar credit through our bring a friend program. And then Craig would also get the other side of that referral, uh, so that we can keep him riding the latest gear and not buying stuff on his own. Uh, so that's a, another way that we're trying to collaborate to support the content we want to see in the world and make sure that this, uh, this really lovely community resource that you've built, uh, continues well into the future. Well, I, pre- I appreciate that, Randall. I appreciate your support, the support of Thesis, and the support of all the other sponsors that have come and wanted to be part of what we're doing. Obviously, we're, we're not a big media organization by any means, and, but that's nice. It's sort of given me the freedom to have the conversation I'm interested in having with people and also directly get feedback from the listeners about who they'd be interested in hearing more from. Because at the end of the day, this is just a sort of journey through the trails, right? It's, it's circuitous, and uh, I'm, I'm going where it feels good and feels good to the listener. Well, and one thing I, can, I just want to share, and I, I may have shared this with you before, but uh, you, know, it's, it, you are uh, a bit of an inspiration in that I had always wanted to have the opportunity to be on public forum like this. And so to be first interviewed back in the day when I, you know, was a guy with a prototype and, and a website that I had thrown together and was trying to drum up interest in, in, you know, the project that is now, you know, thesis. Uh, And then, you know, when you invited me to, to be a co-host, uh, it's a real honor. It's forced me to kind of push through some of what I would imagined you've pushed through in terms of like the discomfort of putting something out there and like, you know, what if you, you know, how are you going to come across and things like that. So I just want to, um, thank you personally for that opportunity and also just say like I, I see what you're doing and it's it's uh i really uh the value of of what you have created here is uh is very apparent that's really kind of you to say randall i appreciate it and i i appreciate you kind of stepping out of your comfort zone it's been fun to have you as a co-host and be able to throw all my hard technical questions at you and get get like a reasoned response for the listener. You know, it's it's funny. I like interviewing people because everybody I talk to has some great nugget of knowledge they can share with our listener. That's not always the case with me. I feel like I want to hear from others. And it's been fun to share a few of the elements of my personal story with the listener today. Just to get a little bit more context, I, I would not... I think I'm an introvert by nature, but I've trained myself to be extroverted when needed. And this podcast has been a great experiment in that 
to put myself out there and just to get the positive feedback that what I'm doing is valued. Yeah. Well, my friend, uh, how would you, so how would you like to wrap this up? Because I actually do not have much experience with the interviewing, uh, being on this side of the table. So, uh, give me some advice on how to, how to wrap up an interview with you. (laughs) You just, you just hit the red button and hang up. Isn't that what it sounds like on the podcast? No, no, it's been, I mean, I think you sensed it as I typically do during any interview conversation that, there was a beginning, middle, and end, and it all felt good. It flowed. And so I would just thank me for my time. All right, my friend. Well, thank you for your time. And uh, hopefully our paths cross in person uh, again sooner rather than later. Yeah, well, thanks for turning the tables on me, Randall. I appreciate it, my friend. All right. Well, thanks so much to Randall for turning the tables on me. And thank you for listening. That was obviously a very personal episode for me. I was happy to share a little bit about my background and why I started the Gravel Ride podcast. As I said, the podcast really won't run without your support. So I really appreciate everybody's visits to buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride, where you can join our new membership program. I'm just actually launching the Gravel Ride podcast jersey pre-order. And if we can get enough of us together, I've got an awesome vendor that's produced what I think is an eye-catching jersey. So come over to buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride and check that out. I've just posted a bunch of stuff over there. And the other thing I really wanted to highlight was our new rider forum called The Ridership. I'm really excited about building this global resource for riders about gear, routes, anything you wanted to talk about as a community. We've chosen Slack as the channel to begin with. So if you're connected with me on social media, hit me up. I just need an email address and I can share that link with you. We've got about 300 people in the Slack channel already, and I'm excited to have you join. So with all that said, thanks again, and here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. (laughs) 